message. It's going to be not quite on par with Father's Day message, but that's that's all right. We just finishing up a series. We've been going through the last 10 weeks through the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians was written by the man by the name of Paul. Paul is writing this book. This it's four chapters long. He's writing it to a group of Christians that he met in the city of Philippi. Philippi, we said, is that strategic city that's the kind of the border to what is modern-day Europe. And it's at this city that the Apostle Paul went to 10 years prior to writing this book, and he started a church there. A couple of famous characters. Lydia, she sold purple. He met her there. She was a wealthy person. She was kind of like the uh, Gucci Armani person of the day, okay? She kind of had the inside scoop on fashion and that type of thing. And so uh, he met her, and she said, hey, I've got a big house. Why don't you stay in my home? Because back then it wasn't like, hey, where's the Motel 6? Where's the Hilton? No, no, you just kind of uh, found somebody who had some extra room, and you'd rent a room from that. That's kind of where you stayed. And so uh, the Apostle Paul uh, stayed and ministered. And they planted the church out of this woman's house. And so the Apostle Paul, 10 years later, is now in a Roman prison, and he's on death row. You say, why is the Apostle Paul on death row in a Roman prison? Did he he do anything wrong? No, he didn't. He is being what we would call persecuted for his faith. He has decided to appeal to Caesar. And so while he's waiting to appeal to Caesar, they are holding him in a Roman prison. And he's being falsely accused. And he's in this prison. And in the Roman prison, you need to understand something. It wasn't anything what we've got today. All right. In a Roman prison, it was just a dark hole in the ground sometimes. Uh, They may not let you out in sunlight. They'll just have you in a dark hole. Sometimes you'll be chained to uh, Roman guards. It's not great. And then on top of that, they don't feed you or clothe you. Um, You need to provide your own sustenance in in prison. You say, how is that possible? What family would do was family would then take care of the financial burden of having a family member who is in prison. And we're going to see that in this passage. Just think about our prison system. If people understood that, hey, they've got to take care of their relatives who are in the prison system. You've heard about the California prison system just being overrun. Imagine if everybody had to pay for their aunt, their uncle, their cousin, their brother who's in jail. All of a sudden, I think we would have a little bit less in the prison system. I'm not advocating. I'm just saying. It's just a thought. But uh, So that's where the Apostle Paul is. He's in this prison, and he's going to mention how this church is going to help him. Well, this message isn't going to be long. I think of what Elizabeth Taylor told her fifth husband. Hey, don't worry. I'm not going to keep you long. All right. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's not going to be a long sermon. It's Father's Day. We want to keep it short. Um, for some of you that got that reference, I know that kind of dates you. Some of them are like pulling out iPads, like Googling it. Who's Elizabeth Taylor? Uh, you know, it's all right. You know, she was way back in the day. But, um, you know, many husbands. I think she had seven or eight husbands, I think. So, uh, yeah, lots of them there. But we're going to jump right into it. I want to read a few verses. But before we do, it's Father's Day. So can we stand? And I'm going to read a few verses. Then I want us to greet each other. Uh, we stand for the reading of the scripture, just out of respect for the word of God. Plus, it's exercise up and down, kind of keeps the blood flowing. These seats are really comfortable. And guess what? The GM told me we're getting new seats. You say, what do you mean? He said, you guys are getting leather seats. I was like, come on, that's good. So they're doing some remodeling. So that's why we're not in a normal theater. Um, they have big rolls of carpet, and they have all this new stuff. Doing all this remodeling, so it's kind of cool. He's like, yeah, your seats will be bigger. And I said, do we get reclining seats? The, the theater in Mountain View has reclining seats. Our church would really grow if we had reclining seats with the little cup holders. I'm telling you what, that's a winner. That's my new church growth model, all right? And he said, no. And I said, oh, we're out of here, man. You know, so just bear with us. Verse number 14, I'm going to read down just for a few verses. Verse number 14. 
notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my afflictions. He's saying to the church of Philippi, hey, thank you for keeping the dialogue going. Thank you for continuing to be a brother to me even though I'm in prison. And verse 15, now you Philippians know also that the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. He's saying, I'm in prison, and all those churches I started, all those churches I gave to and helped and got them off the ground, he said, none of them would write to me. None of them would have anything to do with me except you. You can see why this church had a special place in his heart. Verse number 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent unto me and again unto my necessity. He said, I was in one city, and in that city I was trying to get a church going. They weren't doing anything. You sent to my need because he was kind of an itinerant preacher. It means he would travel, and he would just kind of rely on how God would provide. He said, I was in Thessalonica, and they weren't giving anything to keep the work going. So you at Philippians, you gave. You didn't just give once. You gave twice. He's saying this is a generous church. This is a church that just reached out, and they just saw, hey, where is the need? We want to fill it. Verse number 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full and have received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He's saying, hey, I'm not relying on my 401k. I'm not relying on my social security. I'm not relying on my credit union. I'm not relying on what I've dug and saved in the ground in my backyard. He's saying, I'm not relying on some bonds. He's saying, hey, my needs, my riches is going to be supplied by God. He's saying, that's what I'm going to rely on. You see, today we talk about a source. What is your source? For many of you, your source of income is your place of employment. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, my source isn't just a place of employment for my financial well-being. He's saying my source is God. And here's what he said. He said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. Not just according to, hey, does God have a little bit? He's saying, no, no, no. According to God's riches, he's going to supply. And but in glory in Christ Jesus. Verse number 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever Amen. What we want to do right now is if you would just find three people and just wish them happy Father's Day. If they're a father, if not, just say, hey, happy day. All right. So uh, just greet somebody. Find three people. Greet them. Tell them you're glad to see them. Find three people. Tell them you're glad that they are here. Tell them welcome. Give them a good Southridge welcome this morning. So glad that you are here. It's going to be a great day. Once you've given somebody a greeting, go ahead and find a seat. Thank you for being here. So honored and glad that you will be here. Philippians chapter number four is our passage of scripture. If you didn't have it, it was up on the screen. And if you didn't see it on the screen, it's in your worship guide that we handed out to you. And you can follow along as we study these verses. Around here, we have different types of messages. Sometimes we'll go topical. We'll just pick a topic and we'll study a topic. But for the last 10 weeks, we've been going through the book of Philippians, just taking the verse by verse and applying it to our lives. And the series title has been Climate Change because we meet too many people who the surrounding climate affects them. 
too much. And we're learning how we can affect the climate in another way. How we can say, hey, how can we be climate changers? How can when I meet that person that's grumpy, I'm able to help them be happy? How am I able to walk into a situation that's desperate and discouraging, but bring light and bring joy and bring peace into that situation? Because the Apostle Paul, the one word throughout this book, even though he's in prison, he talks about joy. How is that? That somebody who is languishing, somebody who is sick, somebody who is desperate, somebody who is down and out, and who's been in this prison for two years, is talking about joy, It's talking about peace. That's something that only a believer can have. That's something that is deep down. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Well, this morning, I've entitled this message, When Walls Become Windows. As we wrap this up, we want to talk about when walls become windows. I, I think all of us have been at a point where we were trying to accomplish something, and it just seemed like we were hitting one roadblock after another. One thing after another. I can't tell you how many times I would go to my father-in-law, who at the time was not my father-in-law, and I would say, hey, I've got the ring. I've been dating your daughter, Jane, for so many years, and uh, I'd like to marry her. And the first words out of his mouth were not, yes, not, hey, let's think about this, not let's pray about it. No. It was just like that. I was like, really? And I was like, I'm out of college, got all this stuff. So I was like, okay, uh, I'll come back a second time. I'm persistent, okay? So I came back a year later, and I said, it's a year later. I want to marry your daughter. Once again, no. I was like, man, all right. So I come back a year later after this. Some of you are thinking this is like Joseph in the Bible, seven years of hard labor and everything. I just didn't have the hard labor part, but it kind of kept going. But even though the roadblocks kept coming, I wasn't going to be deterred because she's hot. And I was like, I want to marry her, you know. And so it was like, I'm just not going to stop, all right. This is, I'm just going to keep on going, you know. So either I'm going to buy a house and be your next-door neighbor and stalk your family, um, but this thing's got to work out one way or another, okay. So it was either make him, me his son-in-law law or get a restraining order. So I'm glad he went with the son-in-law, not the restraining order, okay? But some of us, we give up when we hit the wall. There would be a roadblock. We just kind of hit that and we'll stop. But what about if you hit a wall and instead God puts a window there that you can get through? Now, the point I want to go to this morning is the Apostle Paul talks about finances in this passage. He's talking about generosity. He's talking about giving. And I think if there's one topic that is more near and dear to our heart, it's that topic of our finances. Today, I'll hear people say, I'm going through financial difficulty. And I, and I hear what they're saying, and I instantly sympathize. But then I step back, and I think, wait a minute. America is the most richest, most blessed, most wealthy country in the world. A couple of years ago, when we took out Gaddafi, um, he had one billion dollars of u.s currency on his person with him one billion dollars when we took him out when um uh some people go back even further than that there was saddam hussein he had eight hundred thousand dollars of u.s currency on him we may have been the great satan but you know what they still liked our money okay so i mean there was just something about it they were just like hey that's where it's at the american currency. And so we look at our country and people will say, well, we have a financial problem. Some of you remember 2008, the financial crisis. How is that, that we had a financial crisis? I don't know about you, but sometimes you'll read about a a movie star or a sports athlete and you'll hear on the news that here was somebody that once was famous, somebody that once had a lot of accolades, and then you hear that they're filing for bankruptcy. And you're just thinking, what did they do with all that money? 
Like they had millions and millions and millions of dollars, but they were bankrupt. Michael Jackson filed bankruptcy. How is it people that are just these uh, pop icons, and we're just thinking, how in the world did they do that? And then here's our next thought, if we're honest with ourselves. We would say, but if that were me, that wouldn't happen. If I had all that money, that wouldn't happen to me. Now, if I had that opportunity, no, 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 I wouldn't have blown it. Oh, no, no, I would have put it away in the stock market. I would have done this and and that. And uh, I come back to my original question. What we have today is not a financial problem. What we have is a spending problem. A spending problem. You see, we're the only country in the world where it's become kind of, I don't know, trendy to take money from your future and bring it into your present. I mean, think about it. You can go, and if you own a home, you can now take money out of the future, and you can bring it into your present to take care of a present thing, like buy a sports car. Like, that's a legitimate need. You know, you got to have that sports car. You know, and, and, and we could take a credit card, and we don't really have the money. That money's actually out there in the future. But we can, with that credit card, bring that money that's out in the future, and we can bring it into the present, and we'll say, hey, we'll deal with that future debt in the future. And here's what's amazing about the future. We think the future will never catch up with the present, but the future always catches up with the present. And so what we have is not a financial problem. What we have is a spending problem problem and what sometimes we've done not even just on an individual level what we've done on a corporate on a country level we've said hey let's take from the future bring it into the present but let's pass on the problem let's pass on the burden to the next generation so we don't have to deal with it and we think well i'll just throw it off why pay for something when i can make payments for something and what happens is we wonder why financially we're not where we'd like to be and I know this may seem like the not, not necessarily the best Father's Day message, but just stay with me. Just bear with me. It won't be long. And uh, so as we continue this line of thinking about finances, I meet so many people that I'm like, they'll tell me, oh, I'm struggling here financially. And I want to step back and say, why is that? Because we live in a country that is blessed. I mean, if you could pick any country in the world that live in uh, demographically and with all the resources, God has blessed this country. We're just loaded down. We're just blessed. Some of you, you've traveled internationally. You've gone to countries like maybe India or you've gone to maybe South America. And you go to those countries and you come back and the first words out of your mouth are, we have so much food. We have so many blessings. We have so many nice things to be thankful for. And that usually lasts about a day. Then we go to a buffet and then we kind of start eating again or we just go shopping. I mean, it doesn't stay with us long. I mean, we, we pause, we think about it, we ponder, but then that thought is gone. All as I know is that and maybe you might be with me, you may not be. I want to be the person that doesn't need $10, but that I can give $10. But to be in that position, it takes planning. It takes some change. See, the Apostle Paul, he's bringing up a topic of generosity. He's saying, hey, church, you guys were generous to me. And he's saying, now, because of your generosity, God, verse number 19, because we love to claim Philippians 4.19, just like we love to claim Philippians 4.13. We will swipe our credit card until it is maxed out. We will mortgage our homes to the hilt, and then we will come to God and say, hey, God, Philippians 4.19, and God's saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have you been generous on the front end? You want God to come in and save you on the back end, but what are you doing on the front end? Because that's how you can claim Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs. I don't know about you, but um, for some of you, you may have seen that throughout the city, there is different traffic signs. 
Some are in yellow and red. Some are in black and white. The black and white ones, when I got my license and everything from the CHP, they said, those are the ones you don't want to mess with. That's CHP. You don't mess with those. That is a shall. That is a must. That is do not break that one. That one is set, okay? The others, you know, you don't break them, but it's the black and white ones. Those are the ones you don't want to mess with. Here is God is basically putting up a black and white sign, and he's saying, hey, my God shall supply your need. That's a promise. I've got it underlined in my Bible that when I, when, I'm, when I am coming to a point where I'm thinking, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I've got more month than I have money. God, what am I going to do? Now, I think back. I'm saying, wait a minute. I've been faithful on the front end. I can trust God on the back end. And so this morning, we want to talk about something that I think is too often many people just shy away from, and that's the topic of money. You say, oh, the church always talks about money, always talks about money. Actually, this is the second time in the history of our church I've actually talked about money. And it just kind of fits in the passage. We're just going verse by verse. And so if you're a guest, please don't think that, oh, man, this is you're always about money. If you're a guest, sit back, relax, and just know you don't have to do this, all right? But if you're a part of this church, this is something for you. But if you're a guest, welcome, sit back, enjoy, and laugh at everybody. No, don't laugh at them, okay? Don't point fingers. But just kind of sit back and just understand that, wait a minute, that's right. Here's what we're talking about. Because the Bible talks about a specific principle, and it's called the tithe. I've heard people, they'll come to me, and they'll say, I tithe 3% of my income. I'm like, wait a minute, you can't tithe 3%. Tithe in the Bible means 10. Matter of fact, tithe even sounds like 10. That God says, hey, 10% of what I've given you, I would like back. It's a principle that we see all throughout the Bible. And you say, well, well, where do we see that? 2,300 verses of Scripture in the Bible are about finances, where God speaks about finances. Because beyond you attending church, dressing up, wearing a tie, loving your children, raising up in a Christian atmosphere, God says the one earmark, the thing that is kind of a telltale sign that you're a follower of Christ is what you do with your money. You say, what do you mean? Because the Bible says this, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. He doesn't say that about anything else. He doesn't say, hey, where, where your family goes, that's where your heart is going to go. He didn't say where your career goes, that's where your heart's going to go. He didn't say where your sports teams go, that's where he says, no, no, no. Where your treasure is, where your financial uh, heart, where that is, that's where your heart's going to go. Some of you, you, it's not wrong. I'm not saying, hey, don't have a hobby. I'm not saying don't go on vacations. But I'm saying sometimes we put all the emphasis on what we want and we never stop to consider, wait a minute, have I given back to, to God what he wants? One person, they said, do you understand that if I tithe 10%, I'd be tithing six figures? Cool. That's awesome, man. That's great. And they said, no, no, that's a lot. All right, let's back up. Let's pray that you start making less so you can afford to give. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to do that. No, 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 no. We don't want to do that. We don't want to start making less. Here's the thing about us in America. We are a generous nation. But... Statistics across the board say as our finances increase, we hold on tighter to our finances. Some of the people that would be considered lower class and middle class are actually the most generous people by percentage. But it's the people that continue to gain and increase wealth. They're the ones that kind of get what we could call kind of stingy. Instead of being generous, instead of seeing someone how they can bless, instead they kind of hold on. 
And so I want us to write this down this morning. Poverty is a mentality more than it's a reality. Poverty is a mentality more than it's a reality. You see, there is a way of thinking, and the thinking here needs to be a more mentality, that we start thinking, wait a minute, I can be generous because God's the one who gives it to me. You see, this morning, we want to consider where's our source. What are we trusting for our finances this morning? Because God says, hey, I can trust me. I've done this illustration before where I've written out a check and I've signed it out for a million dollars. And I've asked somebody in the crowd, who wants a check from me for a million dollars? Nobody raises their hands. And it always offends me. It always bothers me. I get hurt. I go home and I cry because nobody wants the check that I write for a million dollars and try to give it to them. You say, why? Because they know whether by my clothes or my car, they know he don't got a million dollars. Like they read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, and how he buys suits from J.C. Penney's and all that. But they look at me and they're like, no, 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 there's no way. He might be a hundred dollar but he's not a millionaire. All right. And so they never want that check because they know that's going to bounce like a basketball. And so they'd never want to take that check. Why? Because the source. But let's change my last name to Gates. First name, Bill. All of a sudden, I write out that million dollar check. Now, hands are going up. Who's going to take that one? Oh, I know some of you are really spiritual, and you just say, oh, no, 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 I'd give that to charity. I wouldn't even raise my hand. Oh, whatever. I'd be raising my hand. I'd be jumping up and down and start orphanages in Africa or something with it. And so you say, why would you take the check from Bill Gates? Why? Because of the source. It's all about the source. So this morning, who's the source that you're trusting? Many times we go back, especially us as men, we go back to our jobs as our security. We go back to what we can do. But you and I, we know that that's not a sure thing, especially those that you were doing a good job, you were working hard, and you got that pink slip in your box one day. You're thinking, what happened? Things were going along great. I was doing my job. I was hitting my quota. Why why is this happening? And you understand that your job really isn't a guaranteed thing. You understand that this thing with my source is not really secure. And so we understand also that some of you, you've had an injury where because of an injury, you're on disability. And because of disability, you're not making what you could make or what you should make. And you're all of a sudden, you're tempted to trust you as your source instead of God as a source. So this morning, it really comes down to who is our source. See, God says, hey, if I'm your source, I got riches. I can take care of you. I can help you. So this morning, we need to stop and ask, who is our source this morning? And are you trusting the source or your resource? Because a lot of us, we'll look at the bank account statement, we'll go online and we'll check it out and we'll feel pretty good. Or sometimes we see the zero, 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 or we may see a negative sign or red and all of a sudden we start freaking out a little bit and we start getting worried about why? Because of our resource. But some of you that say, no, 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 I've been putting it away, saving for a rainy day and I've got my house is squared away and my cars are paid off and all of a sudden you're trusting in your resource. So the question is, what are you trusting this morning. You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So I want to ask you a question. Are you entrusted or entitled when it comes to your wealth? You see, sometimes we look at our wealth as, hey, I earned it. I did it. It's mine. It's kind of a can all you can, get all you can, and sit on the can kind of a mentality instead of understanding that God says, no, no, no I've entrusted this to you. Or we have an entitled mentality that says, no, 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 it's mine. I've earned it. I don't know about you, but there's nothing that I think hurting our country more than entitlements. Some of us, we think, well, well, 
I'm entitled to this or I'm entitled to that and I'm entitled to something. One president said there, every American is entitled to a chicken in the pot and, uh, you know, a chicken on the stove or whatever the quote was. And that's what he said he was entitled to. Today, he'd be amazed at how many people feel that they're entitled to a free cell phone. They're entitled to so many other things. And you say, why do you feel entitled to this? Because I am a breathing American. I feel entitled to it. Thinking, but then when you're entitled, you have a mind mentality, which is a limited mentality. It's not a more mentality. It's, a, it's, it's all mine, and it's not gratitude. It's not grateful. And you start acting what my two-year-old will act like when they get a new toy. It's mine. You can't touch it. You can't look at it, and they'll throw a fit if you have. Why? Because he's entitled. It's an immature thing. And so we need to look at our lives and say, wait a minute, am I entrusted? Am I, am I looking at my wealth and my resources as entrusted or entitled? What God has given to me, how do, I, how do I look at it? Am I a steward or am I an owner? How am I looking at my resources? Am I looking at something that I can steward or something that I just want to sit on? You see, but we can re- remember that when we look at our finances and say, wait a minute, I, I'm entrusted. Understand the demand will never exceed the supply. You're saying, okay, I'm going to entrust my resources. God has given me 100%, and I'm going to take the first 10%. I want to give that back to God, which is what he said, give back to him. And we're going to study that in just a second. So I'm going to give back to God his 10%. I'm going I'm to take care of the tithe, and I'm going to trust God, even though it seems like I'm giving him so much. And I hear people say, well, I'm giving God so much. And I'm thinking, well, the 90% God lets us keep. Kind of sounds like a lot to me. My wife and I, we settled it a long time ago. When we got married, um, we decided that we would give more than the tithe. And so throughout the history of our marriage, we've constantly given over 20% of our income to the Lord. I was doing a little research. I've never made over six figures in my lifetime. But in the last six years of us being married, we've been able to give over $120,000 to the church. And I'm just thinking, and every year I'm like, we never came close to that amount. But I'm stepping back and I'm just thinking, hmm, God, you've blessed me. I have gone on a trip to Hawaii. I have toured uh, the Holy Land. I do have a brand new car. I do own a house in the Bay Area. And I'm just thinking, wow, God, I've never made over $60,000 a year. And yet you've given all this to me. How is that possible? Because of my source. Because I'm not trusting my source. I'm, I'm not trusting my resource. I'm trusting my source. And for some of you, you're stepping back and you're thinking, oh, no, 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 I I won't be able to make that car payment. I won't ever be able to take that nice trip. And I won't ever be able to buy my wife that nice thing because I've got to just kind of keep it. And and the church wants my money and I I can't help build the church and and give to it so they can go and reach people with the gospel and they can go and help that battered women's shelter and go and help them. No, 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 I got I got to keep this because uh, we got to I'm not going to be able to have anything nice. And if I could just say I'm a living testimony of God can pour out his blessings some amazing ways. Some just incredible ways. I didn't pay for the brand new car that was given. I always thought growing up, because my parents never owned a new car, until this year. They finally surprised me and went and got a brand new car. My parents are almost 60, never owned a brand new car. This year, they finally bought the first brand new car. I was one of the first people in our family to own a brand new car. I didn't pay a dime for it. I got there at about midnight, and I had a little car jack thing. I'm just kidding. Some of you were like, you did. I knew it. Pastor Crook. No, I didn't. No, God just blessed. Because why? I said on the front end, God, oh God, we said a long time ago, we said, hey, the first is God's. The first check that my wife writes, because she handles the finances, because my our financial house would be a wreck if I was handling it. So the first thing she does, she cuts that check. And guess what? We're happy to do it. Excited to do it. Matter of fact, sometimes when she says, hey, look at, look at how much God's blessed us. Actually, look at how much extra we get to give. Because look at how God has blessed us. Now we get to 
be a blessing. We get to give back. And I've always remembered that the demand will never exceed God's supply. There's a great verse in Psalms, verse, uh, Psalms 37, verse 25. It says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God says, I'll take care of him. You see, when you open your hand, you're really opening your heart. There's a new thing today. Some of you tech moguls, you understand this. It's, it's kind of a phenomenon. started not too long ago, but fairly recent. It's called open source. And it's just kind of taken the world by storm. And uh, for this thing with open source, to really understand it, to kind of define it, there was uh, two companies that decided to kind of make the Encyclopedia Britannica. Anybody remember those books? Did you ever have those? Yeah, we used to have a set of Encyclopedia Britannica, having trouble saying it. And it was just kind of like all the world's information in a small little library. But they were really expensive. Well, company, Microsoft, decided to make that online available, and they were going to charge for it. It was going to be called Encarta. Does anybody remember Encarta? Yeah, some of you do. I used to love Encarta. Well, Encarta was uh, well-funded, well-staffed, some brilliant engineers, and they were going to launch what was going to basically be Encyclopedia Britannica for the 21st century. They were going to launch this. Within 10 years, they shut down the whole project. It's gone. They stopped. 1998, they shut the product down. You say, why? What happened? A little thing called Wikipedia showed up. Now, some of you and I, we would test the validity of some of the articles on Wikipedia, but you cannot deny the open source model put to rest in Carta. Why? Because they said, we're going to make it free. We are just going to make this open source. We are just going to give it away. Other companies followed the same model. Some of you, once again, tech people, you would understand that there are programs like Linux, Open source. Nobody owned it. It was just a bunch of developers said, we're going to write uh, a, a software that we're going to make open source, even though there's other companies who profit from that open source. There's others like Apache that came out. There's other things that just brands that were just open source, and they've taken off. Why? Because generosity today gets rewarded. That's what I'm trying to say. When you have an open hands mentality, it's an open heart mentality. It feels good to be generous. There is something about it when you're able to bless somebody, when you're able to do something for somebody, that all of a sudden you kind of get a little buzz from it, kind of get excited that you were able to help somebody. It's like some of you, you're the type that if somebody's broken down, you'll pull over, you'll help them fix their flat, and you'll drive away just feeling good, even though your life may not be perfect, everything may not be going well, but yet you just feel good from it. Or you'll help somebody, and you'll just be a blessing to somebody who doesn't, didn't necessarily ask for it and they're just you just feel good about it there's something about even giving when you're just saying god i'm gonna give back there's somebody that just kind of oh man that was great look forward to just giving some of you you're excited when you give some of you are just generous with your giving and we can trust that god will take care of our need as we continue to give back you know we've got to come back to are we entrusted or are we entitled I used to, for several years before we started this church, I worked for another pastor. And I remember in my last year there, it was my birthday, so he decided, let's go to lunch. And so I said, all right, let's go. We pull into McDonald's. He had to know him. He loves McDonald's. So we pulled into McDonald's, and there was the other assistant, and we were kind of giving our pastor a hard time. It's Micaiah's birthday, and you're taking him to McDonald's? And I was like, honestly, it didn't bother me a bit. didn't bother me. And I stopped, and I said, honestly, because of my pastor, I've been able to buy a car, the other one. I've been able to pay the mortgage on my house. I was able to um, provide for my family. We had our children medically. And uh, when our marriage was kind of going through some things, my pastor was there. I said, you know what? He's given me a lot. And pastor looked at me and said, that's probably the nicest thing you've ever said. I said, I I don't want to be entitled. 
I want to understand that you entrusted, and this is how I've stewarded it. And he said, now you can order whatever you want off the dollar menu. I said, score. It's a good day. Man, that worked out. Lessons that we learn. So are you looking at giving with an entitled mentality or an entrusted mentality? Also, do you look at giving out of a relationship or out of reluctance? How do you look at your giving? Are you the type that just says, no, I'm going to hold on? You see, the Apostle Paul wrote in another book to the church at Corinth. He said, I say this, he that sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, but he that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man, according as he purposes in heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor in necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. And I would say not only does God love a cheerful giver, but a cheerful giver loves God. Because where your treasure is there, your heart will follow. Some of you are sitting here and saying, I want to know God better. And you're thinking the growth through Bible studies, what's going to do it is not. Some of you are saying, I want to know God better. And I want to get deeper in his word. And so I'm going to show up every Sunday morning. And that's great. I appreciate it. But that's not going to do it. Some of you are saying, well, well, I just want to be mature. And I just want to grow. And I want to develop. Where's your treasure? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody says, oh, God, you know, giving it barely. We used to give our kids money for the offering, and we would get home and say, Megan, why do you still have your money? That was for the offering. Oh, I wanted to keep it. We kind of have that mentality. God gave it to me, but no, no, I want, I want to hold on to this. Instead of saying, no, 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 this is for the Lord. I need to give it back to him and continue to give it. I remember when I was to propose to my wife at the time, I didn't have a problem buying that ring. I remember I had $3,000 that I had saved up, and I said, okay, I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to buy it. At first, I bought the ring at Costco, and then she found out, and she said, no, 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 no. We don't buy wedding rings at Costco. Okay, all right, I get, didn't know. I just was getting a good deal. You get them in bulk, too. You know, you get a bunch. I'm kidding. You don't. You don't. Some of you are like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was a big old fat diamond ring, and they give toilet paper for free, you know. No, that's not how it came. And then she was like, no, 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 you're not buying my wedding ring from Costco. So I took it back. I was like, man, I thought I had a good deal. Plus, I got 3% back. I'm cheap. All right, I'm sorry. All right. And um, so she was like, no. And so I went to the next best place, the Eastridge Mall. And, uh, you know, I'm surprised it didn't get shanked while I was in there or anything like that. But I went to the place, and I looked at the ring, and the ring was $10,000. And I told the guy, I said, I have $3,000 to spend. And I don't want that yellow-looking one you're trying to push on me, okay? No, 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 no yellow in the ring, all right? There's something about cut clarity, and there's another one. And uh, so I, want, I was like, hey, I studied, and I was like, no, I want this one. And I remember haggling with the guy back and forth. And finally, um, I used to be in sales for a long time, so I just knew I'll get him as low as I can, and then I'm going to walk out. And if he'll follow me, I know I can get him to go lower. So I got him to go down $10,000 ring, and he had gone down, gone a little bit lower. He's down to about 7500 And I was like, okay, all right. And I just said, that's as low as I think I get him. So I walk out. He's chasing me down in the mall, and I'm just like, what? You, you're not going to go any lower. Finally, we were able to get the ring down to about $5,000. So I paid 3000 and I put 2000 on credit. Once again, borrowing from the future to pay for the present. Not a good idea, but I did it for the wedding ring. And when it came time to propose, I remember at Yosemite Falls, getting down, there's the waterfall, it's dust, sun is setting. I remember opening that up, and I promise you, church, there wasn't one part of me that says, that's a lot of money. There wasn't one part of me that said, there wasn't one part of me that says, oh, I don't know if you're worth this. Oh, I really don't know if I want to give you this much. That's a lot of money. No. Here's what my heart was saying. I wish I had more to give. I wish I had more. You see why? Because it's built on a relationship, not reluctance. So when we approach giving, the stronger your relationship, it's not for me. It's not for church. It's for him. 
So the closer your relationship, the more it grows. Giving is easy. You look forward to your spouse's birthday. You look forward to Christmas to get them something. Why? Because you're building this out of a relationship. So giving comes naturally. So don't look at it like, oh, that church just forces me to give. No, 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 no. This is as we build our relationship to God, we start saying, God wants me to give 10%. Wait a minute. That was under the law. What I, I can do whatever I want under grace. Oh, awesome. I'll do more under grace than I, do to, than I had to do under the law. I could do more for God. And I want to bless because this is based on a relationship. And I love God. Did you know this? At the heart of the gospel is giving. John 3, 16, probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible says, For God so loved the world that he prayed. For God so loved the world that he thought. So for God so loved the world that he, what is it, church? He gave. At the heart of the gospel is giving. At the heart of Christianity is giving. And church, this one thing we should be known for is open hands mentality. A more mentality. Because I promise you, church, as fast as you can dish it out, God can put it right back. Sometimes people will come to me and they say, pray for me. I'm kind of struggling here. And the first thing I want to tell them is, hey, how have you been doing with your generosity towards God? Start there. Because we don't have a financial problem. We have a spending problem. And it's gone coast to coast in our country. And I know you say, wait, keep politics out. Keep finances out. I know. But it affects us. It affects us at our heart with finances and so we need to look at finances wait a minute based on a relationship as my relationship grows it's easy to give to god also do we see it out of obedience or optional i hear some people that say no it's optional to give i I don't have to this is an optional thing you know i sometimes i hear people say that well giving is just optional I, i i don't need to or they'll say one thing and we'll talk about the tithe and bring the tithe and they'll say well let me pray about that i'm saying yeah just like I prayed about snorting Coke before I came to preach. Yeah, I had to pray about that. It's just wrong to snort Coke before you preach. Well, anytime. But, uh, you know, it's just wrong. All right? So just understand there are certain things I don't need to pray about. Should I have an affair or not have an affair? Hmm, God, what do you think? Why do we do that, church? Why do we stop and we feel like there are things that we need to pray about that God said to do? God said it. And so for me, it's like, okay, I don't need to debate it. I don't need to argue it. I don't need to get upset. I just want to be in obedience and not out of this sense of obligation that I'm just saying, no, no, I'm just going to be obedient to this. I'm just going to follow this. I'm just going to say, all right, Lord, because I don't want to be just a consumer. I want to also be somebody who's a contributor. I don't want to just be one that just kind of take, 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 and take, and take, and take, and take, because eventually people that always take from you, you cut that relationship off. There comes a point where you just say, hmm. You say, well, God is unconditional. God is. But if we're not faithful, then how can we expect God to be faithful on his? Because Bible says, what you reap, you're going to sow. He that sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. So you may be in a situation in your life and you're thinking, wow, this is desperate. Wow, this is, how are we going to deal with this? And it's hard to really even be able to trust the fact that, God, are you going to be able to help me when God's saying, wait a minute, you dug this hole. My mercy, my grace is always there. You need to be faithful. I had one person say, I just couldn't afford to give. I just can't afford to. And I'm saying, well, you need to start. Start back here. Because too many times we like these highfalutin ideas about the Bible and Christianity. And people want to talk about revelation. People want to talk about end times and all this stuff we have. Really don't have a lot of clue about. But then the things that we do know, living right, following God, going to church, giving to God. Seems to me those become the ones who we just kind of, oh, those are gray areas over there, Pastor. Really? It's pretty clear to me. It's pretty clear that he says, hey, 
give and it shall be given. So we are either a consumer or we're a contributor. There are those also who give if circumstances are convenient. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to to Timothy. He said, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who who gives us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, but that they may lay hold on eternal life. He's saying, hey, lay up treasures ahead. Start sending things ahead. Start preparing for another generation. Start laying a good foundation. So how do we look at it? Are we looking at it as optional, or are we looking at it out of those obedience? And lastly, do you have a maintaining mentality or a multiplying mentality? Real quick, as we close, go to Malachi chapter number 3. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter number 3, and we're going to close with this. This is where I got my title from for this message. Malachi chapter number 3. Notice, if you would, verse number 8. Here's what the scripture says. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. A tithe means a tenth. He says, you've robbed me in tithes and offering. The offering was anything above and beyond the tithe. So there you could argue in Scripture that God is saying, hey, not just the tithe, but over and above. And so we understand that God has given us time, treasures, and talents. How are we stewarding those? Because money is a horrible master. And for some of us whose heart has been given to money, you'll see that that's a lousy master for us to follow. But here's what he says. He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. But here's what's interesting. In verse number one, it says, and I even will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessing. Here's what God is saying. He's saying, you're going to be, if you're not faithful, you're going to curse that which blesses you. The thing that helps you, that's what you're cursing when you don't follow through in obedience. But here's what he said in verse number 10. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that you may be meet in mine house, and prove me now herewith, say the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God is saying, hey, you've ran into a wall. I could put a window there, and I can pour out my blessing, and it'll be so much you honestly couldn't handle it. Some of us sitting here this morning are like, try me. Please just try me, God. I'd love you just to see how much you can pour down. Because some of you, you've been through a time in your life where you're just thinking, wow, God is just so good right now. He's just doing so much. My job, I've increased there. God, my marriage is going well. The children are doing well. Hey, everything just seems like everything is awesome right now. And I want to sing that dumb Lego song. Everything is awesome. And I'm just got it stuck in my head. And I just, just love what's going on. God, you're just so good. Because here's God saying, hey, I'm making a window where there was a wall. I'm going to bless you. Why? Because you've been faithful here. But some of you may be sitting and saying, I just don't have a lot. Remember the story in John chapter number 6 where Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000 and they didn't have any food. But one disciple, Andrew, found a little lad with a few loaves and a few fishes. Just a little bit, right? Just a little. So you may be sitting here saying, I just have a little bit. I don't have a lot. He brought it to God. God prayed over it and blessed it and broke it. And it multiplied to to feed 5,000 men. You see, if you have a lot to God, it's not a lot. And if you have a little, to God it's not a little. So never be afraid to say, this is all I have. Never be afraid to say, this is, this is just what I have. This is what little bit I have to bring to God. This is just my little bit. We have a man, he's Leroy. Many of you know him. He's asleep right now, but that's okay. He gets a good nap at church. Leroy's my buddy. You know him. Many of you have been very kind to him. He's a homeless man. And um, Leroy, I've tried to take him to shelter many times, many times. He just won't go. He's just on the street. 
But you know, every Sunday he brings an offering envelope filled with change, maybe a dollar every Sunday. And he'll tell somebody, one of you, you've ushered, and, and he'll tell one of you, if I, if I fall asleep, just make sure this gets in the offering. I've often thought to myself, I've thought, God, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in heaven, and I want to see what you've laid up for him because he gave everything he had. He has no house, no cars, nothing. But what he does have, he gives it freely. He just comes. I took him out to lunch one time. We were sitting down having lunch. We were eating at Johnny Rocca's. I just wanted to make sure he had a good meal and just checking up on him. We were sitting there, and we were, we were talking, just having a good time. And I would kind of finished my hamburger, but there were still some left and still some fries. And he looked over, and he said, Pastor, are you going to eat that? I said, oh, no, Leroy, I'm full. And he grabbed it, and he ate it. I've never had somebody eat off my plate except for my kids. And he said, Pastor, I eat out of the garbage cans most of the times. He says, I don't, I don't know where that food comes from. At least I know who was eating it this time. He said, I don't want to let that go to waste. It got me. Because I was thinking, wow, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Even if I was eating pork and beans tonight, I'm blessed. I have so much. And here there are those that have so little that we would marginalize. That we would say, what do they have? What, are they, what can they can do? What, what, are they, what is God going to use them? And I just have to think. I feel like that's the little bit of bread, a little bit of loaves that somebody just brings. And God says, all right, I'm going to multiply it. I'm going to do what only I can do because I'm the source. And I'm going to take that resource. And I'm not just going to maintain that. I'm going to multiply and if you're sitting here and you're thinking, my job doesn't pay me enough and I can't be generous and I, and I can't do this, I'm telling you, trust God's word, test him, put him to the test and just see what God will do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a little, little deal here this morning. And some of you may get offended, you may get mad, I don't care. If you've never been one for tithing, never been one for giving, here's what I want you to do. It's called a 30-day tithe challenge. 30 days. This isn't really between me. This is just me just trying to help you grow. Because I learned a long time ago the blessing of the tithe. I've learned the richness. I've learned that, that God has blessed my life in more ways than just money. He's blessed it with meaning. And many people would rather have meaning over money. But we understand money is that necessary evil almost. 30-day tithe challenge. If you've never really given faithfully, and you're saying today, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step up to the plate. If at the end of 30 days, God doesn't meet your need, I'll give you every dollar back that you gave to the church. You just come and tell me. You say, hey, this is how much I gave. And at the end of 30 days, if God does not meet your need, if God has not provided, the church will make sure you're fully refunded. I won't tell anybody. It won't be published. Just be private. Just you and me. And we'll just, we'll just take care of it. But I believe at the end of 30 days, my God, my source, will come through and he'll be your resource. And so if you're, you're ready today, there's a safety net for you. What better deal? And you can come to a church that says that believes in helping you grow to this next day. Because why? I believe that beyond anything, beyond prayer, beyond Bible study, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. There will your heart be. And so this is a big deal where we're hoping to see you grow in this area. Lastly, are you willing to step out? Here's what Philippians 4, and notice this, all right? So here, we're talking about Philippians. We'll wrap this up. Let's tie, let's tie this all together. Let's wrap up this series. 
One last verse. Here he's talking about giving, how this church supplied, because, because of this church, Philippians, was able to provide for Paul as he's in prison. Notice something what Paul did. He's wrapping up the letter. He's saying his goodbyes. Verse number 20, he says, Now unto God and the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You think he's done? No. Verse 21. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. There was a church at Rome. He had mentioned in chapter 1. But then he doesn't stop. Verse 22. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. What? Whoa, whoa, stop. Verse 22, he says, all they that are of Caesar's household Wait a minute, he was in the days of Nero was there. This is the day and age where they were lighting Christians on fire. They were throwing them in the pits to be eaten by, by lions. This is the day where to be a Christian around this guy was dangerous. And he's saying, hey, there's a bunch of Christians in Caesar's household that I've been able to minister to because I'd have to go before Caesar and I'd give my testimony to tell him about how on the road to Emmaus, God appeared to me in a great light and I said, God, what do you want me to do? And I began to preach the gospel. And those people heard, Caesar didn't hear, but those people heard and they were saved, their lives are changed and they greet you, they say hello, that's fruit to your account, Good Paul, this is like the movie stars, the rock stars of your day that are now believers. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, yeah, you did that, church. Church of Philippians, you did that because you took care of me. Look what God can do when we say, God, it's not a lot, but I believe you because you're my source. I'm trusting you. I'm going to give this back to you to do what only you can do. Somebody has wisely said, You may be able to count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. Would you this morning say, God, I want to give back what you so richly given to me. Everybody's head bowed, every eye closed.